Would you pray with me? Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we got the phrase like, living with Jesus that comes up on the end of that video. And um, you know, I, I like that term because when we talk about prayer, right? prayer is not just a conversation that we have. It's not just listening and speaking. Prayer really is living with Jesus. It's so much more than just kneeling to speak and kneeling to listen. Prayer encompasses the entire Christian life, right? We, we believe that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. Therefore, we are living with God at all times. He is always with us. And inevitably, when you talk about prayer and you talk about living with God and learning to follow God, the question always pops up, whether you ask it out loud or not, the question always pops up, what about all those times when I prayed for something I needed and God didn't answer? When is God going to answer my prayer? And I've shared before that we, my family has actually dealt with that on many occasions, right? I mean, I've spent six months unemployed and we knew that we needed a job and God knew that we needed a job because God knew what our bills were and what our income was and all of that good stuff. And yet, uh, God made us wait a lot longer than we really thought we should have had to wait. And, and there were plenty of times in that moment when we thought, okay, Lord, when are you going to do it? You know, you, you, you're supposed to take care of us. We, this isn't like a trivial thing. When are you going to actually hold up your end of the bargain and set this up for us? And even now, when we moved here, we, we really expected my wife to have a job, hopefully by like the end of July. And here we are in September, and she'll start a new job at the end of the month. But, but there was a long period of time there where all I could think was, Lord, you, you brought us here, you made us buy a house, and then you didn't give us the job to pay for it, right? Like, what are you doing to me? Um, so we've all had moments like that, but, but those are relatively trivial things. It's really easy in the aftermath of those things to say, oh, oh, I, I understand now why God made right? In hindsight, it's so clear. But what about when the thing you're praying for is a matter of life and death? What if you're praying for someone who needs to be healed? If they're not healed, they're going to die, and, and God doesn't seem to answer. What about if you're praying for someone who's in the throes of an addiction and they can't seem to break it and you're praying for God to intervene somehow and he doesn't? To the 11th chapter of John's Gospel. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness, rather it is 
for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days. So here already you have Jesus knowing that someone he loves needs him, knowing that he can meet the need, right? He can go and he can heal him, and choosing deliberately not to do it because he had other purposes in mind. And I got to tell you, it's not very comforting to know that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because he has an ulterior motive. And yet, that's what happens. Then he, after he said this to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to them, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be all right. You have to laugh sometimes at how dumb the disciples are, right? Uh, Jesus, if, if he's asleep, he's, but we need to go there or anything, right? And it's not as if they could have, they have to be dense to not get this, right? We're talking about a journey of several days walking through the wilderness to get to this town. Why on earth would they think Jesus wants us? Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. If you pay close attention, you can sometimes hear how exasperated Jesus gets with his disciples, right? He almost okay, guys, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> Funny stuff. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Now that has to hurt, right? I'm glad he's dead because otherwise you would not get the point. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Right? They assume they're going to face their deaths because the last time they were there, the people tried to kill him. It makes sense. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Obviously, there's some anger there, right? She's mad. But, you know, as she's expressing her anger, she's also expressing her faith. I mean, you think about, about the background here, right? Her, her brother's ill, and, and based on how quickly he dies in this story, it's safe to assume that they probably, especially to people who live with it all the time, right? They know he's about to die. They're certain of it. They've probably seen it before with other people. They know he is deathly ill, and they know that they probably can't save him, except they know Jesus, right? They know the one man in the world who can save their brother, and he's their friend, right? He loves them. He's close to them. They know exactly where to find him. 
They alone of all the people in the world can have hope as their brother is lying on his deathbed because they know the one person who can stop this illness. So they send a messenger to go let Jesus know that his friend Lazarus needs him to come. And they would have expected that he would drop whatever he was doing and, and come to them as fast as he possibly could, right? He knows the urgency of the situation. Lazarus is ill. He might be dying. Let's go. And they waited. And they waited. And Lazarus got sicker and sicker. And you have to imagine that at first they probably just thought that, that the messenger hadn't found Jesus yet, that he'd moved and they couldn't figure out where he'd gone. But, you know, eventually those messengers would have returned and said, well, you know, actually we, we found him and, and we told him that Lazarus was sick and I, I don't know why he hasn't come. And they waited and waited and eventually the sickness takes him. And then they go through the burial rites and they bury him. They put him in the tomb. And four days later, Jesus finally makes his appearance. Lord, if you had been here, you would not have died. But you hear the faith in there. The absolute certainty that Jesus could have saved him. Right? See, it's okay for me to be angry with God if you didn't believe he was You wouldn't be angry with God if you didn't believe that he wanted to help you and that he could help you, right? It would make no sense. The amazing thing, by the way, even people who are not Christians get angry with God, right? Atheists get angry with God when they pray and nothing happens, right? Because even people who say they don't believe in God when the situation is dire enough, they'll pray. And then they'll get mad that the God they don't believe in doesn't answer them. But of course, by doing that, they've acknowledged on some level they think he's up there because you wouldn't get angry at him otherwise. I mean, you see this all throughout the Bible. Half of the Psalms are people writing Psalms saying, Lord, uh, we're in trouble, we're hurting, we're being attacked, we're being overrun, we're sick, people are hunting us, Lord, help us, why aren't you doing anything? Half of them, at least. So it's okay. It's okay to be willing to acknowledge, Lord, I think you have not done your part here. Right? Whether or not it's true. Because even in doing so, you're acknowledging that you still believe in God. You still believe he's good. You still believe he wants to do things for you. You still believe he wants to take care of you and heal you. And you're wondering why he's not doing it. So it's okay to be angry. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, haven't we all had moments like that? Haven't we all watched someone we were praying for, someone who needed healing, someone, someone who was far too young to die, slip away and wondered? I mean, we, we lost my mother-in-law in February. She was 57 years old. And we, we had been praying for her for at least a year, uh, both sides of my family have been praying for her. At least three churches that I know of had prayer teams praying for her daily and weekly for the whole time she was ill. And still, still, Lord, if you had been there. 
man, I'm not saying this to gain sympathy, right? It's, it's not like a, but, but look, even, even I deal with it, right? And, and think of the pain that is. Everyone has to lose their parents eventually, but not everyone has to deal with that pain for as long as we're going to have to deal with it. Not everyone will have to, to raise their child knowing that they will not know their grandmother. And she was a good and faithful woman. Lord, if you had been there, she wouldn't have died. Why? Years ago, we lost my aunt, and it was sudden. She was in her early 50s. We saw her at Christmas, and she was fine. By February, she was dead. She went into the hospital with some abdominal pain and some other symptoms, and, and shortly afterwards was in a coma, and shortly afterwards died. And it turned out she had a rare form of cancer that no one had caught. No one even knew to look for it. That was about three months before her eldest child's wedding. She missed the wedding. Never met the two grandchildren she has on that side. Lord, if you had been there, she would not have died. Yesterday we remembered the 20th anniversary of September 11th. A day when men full of evil and hatred took as many lives as they possibly could. And, and not just in that one event, right, but they, but they triggered a series of events that has caused untold pain and suffering for the past two decades all over the globe. Lord, if you had been there, that wouldn't have happened. Why? And when are you going to answer those prayers? Lord, if it's within your power to heal people and save people, why would you let them die? Why would you let them suffer? Every last one of us has stories like that. It is a universal human experience, and, and we don't like to talk about it. Because I think we're worried on some level that, that expressing that, that questioning makes us bad Christians. It doesn't. We all go through it. We all have to wonder why God would not answer those prayers. So Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Now right here, do you notice he still hasn't told her he's about to go get Lazarus out of the tomb and he's going to be fine. Instead, he focuses on the, the core promise of her faith. Not, not that everything will be okay right here, right now, but that one day, even the dead will be raised. See, this is the radical belief that sets apart our faith from all others. Right? Right? After the sermon, we'll recite the Apostles' Creed. You notice there's a line in there that says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. We're not talking about Jesus' body. It's ours. The resurrection is promised to each and every one of us, the, the defining hope of our faith is that death is not the end. The grave is not the end of our story. Life goes on. We will be restored to new life. The dead will be raised. 
Those you love who've gone before, you'll hold their hand again, you'll hug them again, you'll hear their voice again. And it's not some fairy tale and it's not something that we think might happen one day. It is the ironclad promise of the God who created the world. This will happen. So before he gives her any other hope, he reminds her, Martha, the grave is not the end. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. Now he knows and he is going to the tomb to raise Lazarus from the He knows in a few minutes, Lazarus is going to be just fine. He's not weeping for his friend who has died. He's weeping for the pain and the suffering and the grief that he sees all around him. You see, we serve a God who, who mourns with us, who weeps with us, who cries with us. When we suffer, God suffers. He shares in it. He doesn't just sympathize with us, he empathizes with us. He knows what we're going through and feels it with us. When you're mourning a loss, God mourns with you. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, here the, the story has an immediate happy ending. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. It's a miracle. The thing about miracles, though, is they don't happen all that often. God does miracles to make a point. God performs miracles when he needs people to believe in something they otherwise would not believe in, like this. Jesus raises Lazarus so that people will know he is who he says he is, so that they will know that all the things they've been taught their whole life about their faith are true. 
But before he ever does that, he reminds them, your hope is not that I am going to perform a miracle for you right here and now. Your hope in me is not based on the knowledge that I could have healed him. It's not even based on the knowledge that I'm going to go raise him from the dead right now. Your hope is based on the sure and certain promise that one day, one day, all of you will be raised from the dead. And your faith has to rest on that promise. See, the the hard answer to the question of when is God going to answer my prayers is that he may not do it on this side of the grave. Your prayer may not be answered before you die. But you know, when, when you pray for someone to be healed and they die, they're no longer sick. When you pray for an addiction to be broken and the person never breaks it until they die, the addiction is now gone. We don't like that answer because we can't see beyond the grave. We simply have to take it on faith and trust that life continues past it. God simply does not promise that he will answer every single one of our prayers right here and now. There are some prayers that won't be answered before we die. But hallelujah, they'll be answered anyway. See, the glory and the promise of the gospel is not that God will make your life easy here and now. It's not that he'll grant you a miracle anytime you want it. It's that one day, every last one of us is going to rise again. The promise of the gospel is that death is not the end. The grave does not mark the end of our story. Life goes on. Our life continues. And we can be certain that in the end, everything will be okay. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end. This is what Jesus wanted Martha and Mary to know. This is what we have to learn if we're going to live with Jesus. If we're going to spend a lot of time in prayer, we have to be willing to accept that sometimes those prayers will not be answered before we're in the ground. And we have to learn to trust and hope that we will see them answered anyway. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And if you would rise with me, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together as we do every week. And if you're not familiar with it, that's okay. The words are up here on the screen. The reason we do this is simple. The Apostles' Creed summarizes the major beliefs of the Christian faith. These are things that all Christians in all times, in all places, all over the world, of every belief and background can all agree are true. And that's a miracle because we can't even agree on what to set the thermostat at for the sanctuary. But we can agree on this. Would you say it with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.